You're listening to the Westchester Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ. The snow. And speaking of snow, I I just wanted to uh, congratulate a couple that just got married yesterday. Uh, They are my neighbors. I was invited to perform the wedding. I want to introduce them, Tim and Tim and Lourdes Fallon, right here. One one of the beautiful things that happened yesterday, uh, Lourdes is from the Philippines, uh, and uh, Ida Yoder has actually met her mother in the Philippines, which is exciting. But one of the really cool things uh, that I found that uh, you know, when you're from the Philippines, you don't know what snow is. Uh, you've never, I mean, you know what it is, but you've never seen snow. Uh, she had never seen snow. Lourdes grew up in the Philippines, had, had never seen snow, and uh, really was praying to see snow. She goes, uh, God, I, I really want to see snow. And so as God, you know, God, ne- there's never coincidences, as God would have it, uh, for her wedding yesterday, God coated the entire area in snow. So that was like... A wedding present for Lourdes, but uh, very exciting, and congratulations to you guys, and uh, Tim and I have been neighbors, uh, we've been neighbors, Teresa and I, for uh, 17 years, 18 years actually, so uh, we're, we're really grateful. Uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to talk about the need for deep spiritual relationships, and as well, we're going to talk about a cool way that we could make that happen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is a great chapter. We're actually going to do a little bit of Bible study before we take talk about the one another relationships because this is the context. When you go to the end of Hebrews and say verse 24, if you're going to end up in Hebrews 24, it's a good thing to look before Hebrews 24 and find out. Uh, actually, can we go back to just the main slide of Hebrews? Yeah, that one. If you're going to go to Hebrews 24, you've got to get the context. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do some Bible study, and then we're going to end up at Hebrews 10.24. So in Hebrews chapter 10, of course, the, the writer of the Hebrew letter is addressing a very important topic, and that's the superior value of Jesus Christ over the Old Covenant and the Law of Moses. It's a letter written to Jews that had become Christians that were struggling with Christianity and thinking about going back into the Jewish system, lifestyle, and reconciliation under the Old Covenant. And so they were tempted to return. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, whoa, you guys, Jesus is better. It's a better way. It's a a superior way. And so he's painting a picture of how superior Jesus is to that. Now, through this, you're going to see a contrast. He's contrasting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, the Old Covenant was based on uh, law and obedience, sacrifices prescribed by law. It was very much a fear-based, fearing God, and just making sacrifices, blood sacrifices, sacrificing animals uh, to try to get your sins forgiven. Of course, their consciences were never cleared They were never feeling great about it. They were always feeling nervous and insecure uh, under that old covenant. Uh, The New Testament, the new covenant, is vastly different. Uh, The new new covenant is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And not just sacrifices prescribed by law, but actually sacrifices chosen by personal will. That we are the ones choosing to give these sacrifices. It's not that God is commanding these things to be done because it was done in Jesus. And there's nothing more we can do to get our sins forgiven because Jesus did that. But instead, we want our whole lives to be a living sacrifice. But that's our will. We choose that. There are not specific things dictated to us how to do that. But it is, we, we just do that because we're so grateful, basically. We're just overwhelmed with gratitude, and we just want to thank Christ for what he did on the cross. And so we just want our whole life to be one big thank you. So as we read this, let's look for those things. Let's look for the contrast between the old covenant of fear and law and prescription of sacrifice and the new covenant of freedom from the past and freedom to be able to enjoy the blessings of Christianity. So as we read it, that's what we're going to be looking for in this. Hebrews chapter 10, let's start in verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect, because that's the goal, perfection, make perfect forever, or make perfect those who draw near to worship. So that was the law. The law was you come to worship God, give sacrifices, but it was never able to make them perfect. Verse 2, otherwise they would have stopped being offered, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. So there was a reason for the sacrifices, but the sacrifices weren't really working. Verse 3, but those, are, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Wouldn't that be a downer? To be reminded of all your sins, of all your past, just every single year, everything. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, now here's the new covenant. He said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. So what's God wanting? His will, the body, it's not the blood of bulls and goats, not that kind of sacrifice. He's wanting the sacrifice of our will. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased, even though the law said to do them. But that's not ultimately what God was looking for. Then he said, speaking of Jesus, then he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. That kind of sums up the new covenant. What's the difference between the old and the new? God prescribed in the old and the new. It's like, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am. I just want my whole life to be a living sacrifice. Here I am. Tell me what to do. I'll go anywhere. I will sell everything. I'll do anything for Jesus. Just say the word. I am yours. This is what Jesus is saying is the new covenant. And Jesus set the pace. He came down from heaven to live among us, to sacrifice his life because it was God's will that he do so. So he chose to deny his will and instead take on God's will and lay down his life. Verse 8. First he said, 
sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first covenant to establish the second covenant. And that that will and by that will, Jesus's will to lay down his life by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus took the entire old covenant, all the commands, the law of sacrifices and nailed them to the cross and they are gone Though there may be many that are still trying to live by them, they do not exist. They've been nailed to the cross. And through that, Jesus established a brand new covenant, one not of sacrifice by prescription of law, but one of sacrifice of will by prescription of love. So he restates the differences again in verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And you know what? In all honesty, a lot of people are still trying to do that today, right? They're still trying to do all these works to try to prove their worth to God. You know, they sin, they go, quick, do something good to make up for it. That's all old covenant. There is nothing you can do to take away your sins. Only Jesus can do that. There's no works that you can do to impress God. God is not impressed by works. He's only impressed by one thing. That was Jesus laying down his life. Now, you, we can imitate it, but it's only Jesus' blood that impresses God. Verse 12, but when this priest, speaking of who, this is Jesus, so Jesus was high priest, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. So how many sacrifices are there now? Just one for, for a part-time? For all time, one sacrifice. That's really important. This is crucial Christian doctrine right here. This is essential Christian doctrine that we understand this. There's only one sacrifice forever. Once he did this, this one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time... He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's an astonishing statement. By one sacrifice, not ended sacrifices, by one sacrifice, he is made not nearly perfect. He is made perfect forever so if you are in Jesus, if you are in the blood, if you are in Christ, you are actually perfect forever. That's amazing. That should leave us astonished because I don't feel perfect. Do you? Is there anyone here? Anyone that feels perfect? So this is a struggle. This is a struggle we all have. We don't feel perfect. We, we, we see our sin. We see our faults. We see all these things that are going wrong. What do we do with that? Well, what Jesus did, he did something about it. He said, I'll handle that. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that one. Yep, I'll take that one. He did it for the past sins. He did it for the present sins. 
Which, are you sinning right now? I don't know. Maybe you are. He did it for the future sins. Perfect forever. Those who are what? Being made holy. So this is progress. So are we perfect or not? Because the Bible says both. The Bible says we're perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. So which are we? Are we being made holy or are we perfect? Yes, the, yes, the proper answer is yes. We are both. When God sees us, if you are in Christ, if you are in his blood, if you are in that one sacrifice forever, if you are in that sacrifice, when God looks at you, he only sees Jesus. Your life is now hidden in Christ. He only sees Jesus. He doesn't see the imperfection. He doesn't see the unholiness. He doesn't see all that. All he sees is his son. And how does he feel about his son? I am well pleased. He loves his son. So if you are in Christ when you die, you stand before God in Christ. And what's God going to say? In you, I am well pleased. Enter into your Father's kingdom and celebrate. What about all that unholiness? What unholiness? All I see is perfection. But we know that we're still being made holy. And that's part of our will that we choose in the new covenant to say, here I am, Lord, I have come to do your will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. We actually pray that in the Lord's prayer. Did you know that? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By who? By the person praying it. So we pray it all the time. We need to do it. That's the new covenant. It's not what you have to do. It's what you get to do. It's all these things that we get to do. We get to sacrifice our time and our heart and our energy and our love and to be able to serve and to give and all this stuff. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's just verse 14. I just love verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being holy. So another conclusion from this is there's no more sacrifices that exist to purify you from sin. So when you sin, you can't say something like, oh, what's going to take away my sin here? Because that, that's not true. If you're in Christ, there's nothing that can take away your sin. It's already been taken away. You've already been purified. But I haven't prayed yet. You've still been purified. You're still in Christ. People get really insecure about their salvation. Am I saved? Am I lost? Am I saved? Am I lost? Listen, the question isn't, am I saved? Am I lost? The question is, are you in Christ? Well, yeah, I'm in Christ. Then you're saved. Yeah, but I don't feel saved. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you feel. The facts are the facts. Are you in Christ? Yeah, I'm in Christ. Then you're saved. Then you're perfect. No, 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 I'm not perfect. Well, no, you're being made holy, but you're perfect in God's sight. Now, I tell you, that turns me on. That, that inspires me. That, that floats my boat. And it inspires me so much that I want to serve God. What else can I do? God, tell me what to do here. Where can I go? What can I do? How can I serve? I, I, I'm just inspired. 
Verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. So he's speaking to the new covenant. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So in the old covenant, we had a whole list of hundreds of regulations, 10 commandments, and then hundreds of regulations. They were all written down, some in stone, right? The Ten Commandments were written in stone. Some were written on papyrus and scrolls and things like that. So that was, all, that was a lot of stuff to do. In fact, it was hard to keep track. The Pharisees, of course, were very consistent about keeping track of every little thing, right? That's the Old Covenant. What's the New Covenant like? What does this say, the New Covenant? Where are the laws? Are there laws? Well, there are, but where are they? Are they in stone? Are they in papyrus? Are they in scrolls of sheepskin? They're, they're written in you. They're written in you, inside you. You know what they are. And what are they? To love the Lord your God with and to love your neighbor. See, they're there. They haven't gone anywhere. Verse 17. Now, this is a mind blower, too. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. That should be mind-blowing to us. Their sins and lawless acts I will try to forget. Their sins and lawless acts, I will really struggle with this, but I, I'll go ahead and forget them. No, it's actually a choice. It's God's will, God's will to actually forget your sin. That God is so powerful, God is so powerful that he has the power to forget. God is omniscient, but he's omnipotent. But he has the power to forget. He's choosing to forget. So again, when you stand before God and you say, well, what, what about that lust? What about that gossip? What about those attitudes? What? God's like, what gossip? What attitudes? What, huh, huh, what, 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 what? I guess I forgot. Won't that feel great? I mean, won't that feel great standing before God? And you're like this. <laughs> and God's like this. You're like, how can you be so happy? You're pure. You're perfect. What? I am? Yeah. Because you're in Jesus. Now that then becomes a pretty important deal, being in Jesus. That, that's sort of the big thing. Because some people aren't in Jesus. And with you, I worry for you, I'll pray for you, I'll study the Bible with you. <laughs> because that's, that's big. You've got to get in Jesus. But once you're in Jesus, you're perfect. The sins have been forgotten. It's amazing. Verse 18 says, And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. In fact, it's impossible. Because there's nothing else that can forgive other than the blood and it's already been shed. Therefore, okay, here's, here's the message. That was all lead into the message, okay? But it was very important. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, courage, confidence and courage to enter the most holy place, which is only the high priest could do once a year with blood, but we now have confidence through Jesus to do this, 
courage to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, that's Jesus' body, his blood, his life, a new living way opened for us through the curtain. Nobody got past that curtain except the high priest once a year with blood, but we get to go through the curtain, that is his body. If you are in Christ, baptized into Christ, you have repented of your sins, you're a disciple, you've been baptized, buried with Christ in water, you've been immersed under the water to join Jesus' death, burial, and resurrected with Christ out of the water. If you have done that and you are in Christ, you are through the curtain. Whoa! That's amazing! Can you imagine being a Jew 2,000 years ago? They saw the curtain. They knew they couldn't get past that curtain. And now they can that's amazing. But we have to have the confidence. We have to have the courage. Do we have it? What Paul is, or what the writer of, I'm sorry, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, since we have that confidence, by a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great pre, high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, that's baptism, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur on one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Those are our marching orders. That is exactly what we need to do in the new covenant. Because of all this good news, because of the forgiveness, because of the purity of our lives, our, our gratitude wells up into what do we need to do here? And, and the writer is saying we need to first have confidence full assurance, hold on swervingly, consider some things, how we can help one another. Don't give up meeting together as some are doing. Where are they? Get back here. We need to meet together. We need to encourage one another and all the more and all the more. Wow. Look at verse 26. It's the only warning in here. There is one warning. It says in verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning, in other words, if we don't do what he's asking us to do, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Nothing can forgive you. If you spurn the blood of Jesus, if you give up on the blood of Jesus, if you just say no to the blood of Jesus, nothing. In fact, he goes on to say, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So we don't want that. That's not us. Amen? We're not going there. So how do we carry out God's will today as outlined in the new covenant? Well, we need to get together and encourage one another a lot. We need to hold unswervingly to the truth. We need to be meeting together all the time, just like they did in the, in the, in the first century. Just like we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. It's all about relationships. The old covenant was about law. The new covenant is about relationships. It's about just joyfully expressing all the great things we have with one another. And the writer's being emphatic here. It's interesting. You know, verse 22. 
Why does he have to say, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings? Why does he have to say that? Because that, we struggle with that. We struggle with insecurity. You know, in verse 22, he says, let us hold unswervingly. Why does he have to say that? Because we don't hold unswervingly. Why did not look, look at verse 24. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Why does he say that? Because we get lazy and don't. Well, somebody else will encourage them. Well, somebody else will take care of them. Well, somebody else, and we just pass it on to everybody else. The tendency, the historical drift, is to come to church and just bump shells and go home, just like a cinema. But that's not God's church. You can do that in a cinema, but you should never do that in church. Church is far beyond that. It says in verse 24, don't give up meeting together. Why would he have to say that? Because some were already doing it. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning, why would he have to say that? Well, because we do it. You know what? Bottom line, we need each other. That's the bottom line. What's the takeaway message here? We need each other. How desperately do we need each other? How deeply? Fundamentally, deeply. How involved do we need to get in each other's lives then? You know, the New Testament has over 270 scriptures commanding us to be involved in one another's lives. How many scriptures are there in the New Testament commanding us to share our faith? Commanding us to share our faith? Now, do we believe in it? Yeah, do we do it? But it's really not commanded much. How many commands are there to get involved in each other's lives? Over 270. So where's the emphasis here? What, what do you think God's kind of trying to say here? It's easier to share your faith than it is to get into and, and encourage one another. That's the takeaway. It's easier to invite people to church. It's easier to go out and invite a stranger to church than to sit down with somebody and say, how are you doing? No, no, how are you really doing? No, no, how are you really doing? It's easier to invite people to a church activity than it is to sit down with somebody and say, you look discouraged. Can I ask why? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Let's talk. Let's go have lunch. Let me help you out. See, inviting somebody to church can take between 10 seconds and a minute, maybe two minutes. But if you sit there and say to somebody, can we talk? You want to talk? Do you want to share? That could be, depending on the person, up to four hours. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to tattle on husbands, but can I just give you a secret? I'm, I'm going to tell it, and the husbands are going to be really angry at me for saying this. But... Many husbands don't even want to ask their wives, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Because it could be a five-hour conversation. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it or say it. That's a whole other subject. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have gone there. That, that wasn't good. Can we get back to the subject? Forgive me. Let's get back to the subject here. There are over 270 scriptures commanding us to get involved in each other's lives on a deep 
level. Scriptures like love one another, serve one another, bear with one another, greet one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, accept one another, serve one another, encourage one another, build one another up according to their needs, forgive one another, confess your sins to one another, be hospitable to one another. And we could spend a lot of time going through all 270 scriptures. And a lot of them, a lot of them are encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another. Do we get the point? We need each other. You know, how do we pull this off? How do we practice all these scriptures, these commands? How do we pull this off? Well, we need consistent opportunities to do it, don't we? We need a venue. We need an opportunity to serve, to encourage, to influence and animate, to serve our lives with. Well, we have church services. Well, can we really, can we be honest about church services? You know, we come in, we worship, and then what happens? We greet a little, and then we go. Any deep talks? Sometimes. Sometimes. But there's usually a limit to that. Usually to really, really get in and have a really great talk takes an hour or more. And that doesn't usually happen here. So there are some good talks that happen. And of course, I'm not saying we don't have great relationships. We do. We have great relationships. But I do have a point later on to call us higher on that. So church is limited. How about midweek? We have midweek. Can we do it at midweek? Can we really do one another things at midweek? Well, again, it's a bit limited just because of time. We're really busy. We really are. Well, how about a Bible talk? Well, a Bible talk, we tend to be more focused on people that are visiting the Bible talk because the purpose of a Bible talk is to help people understand that the Bible is understandable and help people with their faith in Jesus and help people eventually become Christians. That's the purpose of a Bible talk is to actually help people become Christians, to to get into the Word of God so that they have personal faith and they can respond with their personal faith to become a Christian. Uh, That's the purpose of Bible talk. So that's really not going to be a good venue to do it either necessarily you know our strength as a movement as a church our strength has always been in this connected relationships in fact so much so that people outside of our family of churches have commented about the international churches of christ saying you guys have something unique you do something no other churches do you guys don't just come together and go home you guys actually really get involved in each other's lives you 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 call it discipling right it's where you get together and you really have talks and really get in there and help people change and to grow and to mature and encourage and inspire let me tell you something other churches don't have that and so this has been our strength it's always been our strength it's always something we've been striving for however as we've aged as a congregation did you notice i didn't say we've aged personally Oh, I just did. However, as we've aged as a congregation, as we've aged, we've become, you know, more kids, more responsibilities, more distractions. We've tended to get together less and encourage one another less on this level that I'm talking about here and help one another on this level to really change and grow and become like Jesus. Some of us have the same weaknesses, issues, and conflicts we've had for years because no one's really gotten in there to help us get to another level because we don't have time. There seems to be so little time to make that happen. You know, a couple months ago, we invited Johnny Rivera to come in and preach. He did a great job here. He preached on one another relationships. 
Later on, he shared with the Bible talk leaders some stuff. He, he came up with an idea because his congregation was face, facing the same challenges we do today. We just don't have time for this. We have time for this, maybe a little bit of this, but not this. And so he, he came up with this idea um, to have what they call life groups uh, that meet this need. He, ri- he realized, uh, as we do, that everyone is involved in Sunday services, midweeks, everybody's in a Bible discussion, but there's very little time for really getting those relationships strong. So they formed these life groups. It's a group of four to six people, a maximum of six people. So these are small groups. These are not like these huge Bible talks or these gigantic family groups that are the size of upstate congregations. This is four to six people getting together. And what do they talk about in a life group? What do you think? They they get together for about an hour and a half, and what do you think they discuss in a life group? They talk about their lives. They're not talking about sports. They're not talking necessarily about work. They're not talking about church issues. They're talking about their their life. They're focused on helping one another and encouraging one another. And it takes about an hour and a half to pull that off. The goal was to help everybody in the congregation to thrive spiritually and not just be members of a club, but be a family. And because of the suburban schedules they had, they figured out something's got to go because we can't pull this off. So they decided to do life groups in lieu of Bible talks. Now I know some are going to think this is false doctrine. Now, a lot of groups did both because they could pull it off. Like, you know, most people without kids actually can pull it off, not all, but most. But if you have kids and schedules and teen activities and preteen and young teen and, 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 and Christmas play and all kinds of things going on, chances are you're not going to be able to do both. So the priority was the life group, and they didn't meet as a Bible talk, but instead they did a life group. And as I say, some groups could do the life group and a Bible talk, but the priority became the life group. And they simply said, hey, let's try this out and see how it goes. Well, what about evangelism? What they did was they got everybody to come to church. Come to church rather than Bible talk. Come on. Come visit the church service. They got them to midweeks. They got them to activities. They got them to, to fun things. Uh, they got them to everything. Now, this is, you know, this is a big deal because we've done things so much in one way, it's going to be tough to make any kind of a change. But sometimes change is good. Uh, you know, how we accomplish something is, is up to some discussion. You know, let, let, let's figure out how we can pull off what we're being asked to do by God. And if it's going to strengthen an area where we really need strengthening, we need to take that pretty seriously and say, how do we make that happen? Because I think we need to. Well, what New Jersey discovered in doing this was they discovered their church was a lot happier, a lot happier. There were a lot of people getting baptized, married couples getting baptized, teens getting baptized. 80% of their teens are baptized. They're a happy group. They said, we have never grown like this before. Now, doesn't that seem ironic? You give up Bible talks, but you're growing like never before. How's that all happening? Because the members are getting their needs met. 
When you've got happy members, you've got a happy church. When you've got a happy church, you've got a light to the world. So maybe, maybe you're thinking this isn't such a great idea to do it, but as a leadership group, we like it. We feel very inspired by the idea and would actually like to try it here in Westchester. We think that would be a great idea to try in Westchester. How long? I don't know. Let's try it for a time. Let's see how it goes. I think we're open to that. I think we're flexible enough to try something new, don't you? Well, I have questions. Great. Let's ask them. You know, not not right now. now. (laughs) We've sort of equipped the Bible talk leaders so you can ask them. Go back to the Bible talk leaders. Ask them if they can't answer it. I'm sure that they'll talk to some of us about doing that. Uh, Every church is different. Uh, Not every plan is a good one. Uh, It certainly worked for them. I I think it probably will work pretty well for us. Uh, We're not ready to push the button yet. We want to make sure everybody's, you know, feeling good about it. Um, It just seems like a great idea. So, uh, yeah, when we talk to the Bible talk leaders and leaders in the church, they they overwhelmingly support the idea um, that this is a really good direction to go. And honestly, um, what God has put on my heart, and I've communicated some of this before, um, and will be communicating it as the months and years go on, is that uh, I, I don't think that our mission in Westchester should be just being a good church. Um, I think Westchester has a lot of churches. Um, I don't think that our goal necessarily should be to have the most outstanding worship service in the county, although I think we can have a great worship service. We do have a great worship service. But that shouldn't be our goal. I don't think our goal should necessarily be to have the best children's ministry in Westchester County, although that's a great goal to have. And, hey, there's nothing stopping us. And we have a, an amazing children's ministry in the church. We do. It's an amazing youth ministry. We've got an amazing group. But I think our principal goal should be to be a light in a dark community, to be a light on a hill that cannot be hidden. And that's not going to be corporate. That has to be individual. That, if you're just blending in at work with everybody else, and the only thing you're known as is you're kind of religious, or well, you go to a church, or your doctrine is different, or if that's what you're known as, that's not a light. That's not being a light to a lost world. What the world needs to see is deep hope, deep passion, gratitude, excitement, joy, all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let me tell you what, that's what the world is looking for because they don't know where to get it. And if you walk in with all that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, you become a light to the world. People are going to start asking you, what is wrong with you? I mean, not wrong. What is right with you? Because something's different with you. What's going on? What, what, is, what is up with you? You know, people come into church. What's all this hugging? I'm uncomfortable with all this hugging. I don't even know anybody. Why are they trying to hug me? Don't hug me. You know, I did that the first time I came to church. You know, I grew up in a ranch in Montana. You don't hug people. You didn't even hug people you're close to. Maybe your mother. Maybe. And then I came into church. I'm feeling uncomfortable. But what I didn't feel uncomfortable... Well, I did feel uncomfortable with this, but it was different. When I saw in their life the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness 
and the faithfulness and the self-control. I wanted that. I want what Sue has. I want what Evan has. I want that. And that's what got me to study the Bible. It wasn't so much an invitation to church. In fact, I invited myself to church. It was what I saw in the individual that I knew was a hole in my life that I needed. And I saw that they had that. And I wanted it. Don't you believe Westchester County needs that? I believe we can be a heavy influence on Westchester County in that way. When we get to meet as life groups and talk about our lives and helping us each other grow and be able to project the fruits of the Spirit and live all of that and become beams of light and then you send out 275 people into the community and prayerfully eventually a thousand people a thousand lights into the community we're going to we're going to influence this county several hundred can do it a thousand absolutely you get a thousand lights in westchester county spreading that kind of hope and joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control you're going to have a county that's going to start asking questions and i believe that that's where god has called us to go. So I'm asking for prayers. We're asking for prayers. Where I want prayers, should we do this? Is this the way we want to go? Because it would involve getting some life group facilitators together, people that can facilitate, four to six people discussing their lives, people that can really are good at that, good at really getting people to talk, not, not preaching, getting people to really share and talk. How do you feel? How did that make you well? What, what do you think? What do you see as this weakness? You know, just getting people to share, getting facilitating discussion in a group. It would be committing ourselves to two or three times per month meeting together in these life groups to talk about your life, to be a better disciple. It certainly leads me to believe that if we did this, we would be much better, more fruitful, effective disciples. Don't you think that? One thing we know for certain in all of this is we've got to obey the Bible, right? We've got to obey the Bible. You know, back to verse 24, Hebrews uh, 10:24. There's a command here that we have to we have to do, and it's let us consider. What's the word consider mean? You got to really think about it. This isn't something you can just do off the off. What's the expression? Off the cuff, on the fly. Whatever. Maybe I'm. Maybe I've got archaic expressions, but. You've got to think about it. You've got to consider how you can do it because some ways are effective, some aren't. Some ways of communication work, some don't. You know, we don't want to yell to people on the other side of the river, get over here on my side. That's not effective. What's effective is you get in the boat, you row over to the other side and say, can I help you get in the boat and then we can row back over together. So we need to consider how we can do this, how we can spur one another, and how we can inspire one another is another translation. Consider how you can inspire one another toward love and good deeds. That's why we need to meet together. We need to encourage one another daily. I hope that this has been an inspiration to your thought process. I hope that it's spurred on some thinking about what we can do as a church in the future, the picture we can paint, 
Again, the context is Hebrews chapter 10. We don't want to drift back to that old covenant of just sacrificial system and relationships that do this. Instead, Jesus is calling us into a new covenant, a new way, a new relationship like this to be able to inspire one another higher and higher and higher till we all are lights in the community, lights to a lost world to truly turn Westchester upside down. Amen. You've just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycfcoc.net.